Yeah, hi, this is Gary Griffin again. Um, thank you for joining me as we go into all the world. Um, Manny and I are here today again with Ken Stern. Ken's going to kind of continue and follow up a little bit what he talked about last week. And we want to go back. Ken made some good comments as we talked a little bit off the record after the last program. He's going to start there and talk a little bit about the jail and a little bit about a challenge he had when he kind of went from a volunteer to a chaplain and a couple months into it, he, he had to kind of get a lesson or kind of learn something. So again, Ken, thanks for coming today. Good to be here. All right. Well, tell me a little bit more about what you said as we talked off the record after the last program there about, you know, as, as people get saved, they then go back and they become better dads, better husbands and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, in my experience, uh, most of the people that we deal with in the jail, uh, drugs is usually at the heart of it, drugs or alcohol. Uh, and they are tired of being drug addicts. They're tired of oh. losing everything. They're tired of being prostitutes if they're, or, you know, they're just tired of being beat right. down. And um, so, you know, you have an audience that's willing to listen because they're looking for hope. That's really what's going on in there. We bring hope. Just our, our, lives, you know, just talking to them about Jesus. Our lives tell them that there's hope because all of us were sinners. All of us, you know, came up short. All of us are flawed. Right. And when they, you know, so even just being there as a Christian has a big impact. Okay. <clears throat> so that's the one thing, you know, that we try to communicate to people is, uh, you know, tell the story. We have a story to tell. One of the things I like to tell people is, you know, uh, none of us are perfect, but whatever God does is. And Amen. that's why, so the message that we preach, right, that's right. a perfect message. Mm -hmm. You know, my life's not perfect. Your life's not perfect. But the message we preach is perfect. That's a that, great you know, word. Jesus died mm -hmm. on the cross for our sins. He died and rose again the third day. That's a perfect message. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, but it because we're so tied up in our own stuff, we don't always see it that way. But in reality, that's how it works. And that's right, why we right. encourage our volunteers to preach the gospel. I don't care what you teach about, what you do, but in all of your messages, incorporate the basic gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay. You know, that's important because we think people know the gospel, and they actually don't. You know, they might know about Christmas, but they don't really understand what it's about. They might know about Easter, but they don't really understand what it's about. Uh, and so we give them that message. And, and uh, yeah, and it works. You know, Paul said that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Praise Everyone God. Everyone who believes. Well, that changes lives. So, the, you know, you become born again. You have a different life. You're a new creation, you know. You're not the same. Your old man is dead. Your old man is gone. We may have to deal with some of the residue. Yeah, we continue to sin or continue to, you know, fall short. But again, we become a new creature. And I like what you said, too. A lot of the people in jail, they're tired of their old life. They're tired of where they've been. They're tired of things that brought them to jail or probably brought them to jail two or three or four times. Mm -hmm. And stuff, and so you're going to give them an opportunity to get out of jail, okay, and get out of the old person that causes them to go to jail. And I think a lot of times that's one th great thing about Christianity is that it changes the person, okay, not just a behavioral change or 
I think uh, one time I had Nick on the program, one of the other chaplains, he said the biggest thing is people just want to change their behavior and they'll be okay. Well, they may change their behavior about drugs, but if they don't change their, maybe their emotions, they still get mad at the wife or the kids or they, they still kick the cow or things like that. Yeah. And so they're not a new creation. They've just controlled one area of your life. But can you tell us a little bit about, again, you probably see as people go back, as they leave um, the jail, you could probably have, maybe tell us in general, and we'll talk some specific stories, but in general, they go back, and like I said, they become better husbands, they become better dads, better grandfathers, you know, just a better citizen. Okay, again, they probably could be one of our neighbors. So I want to talk about that for a minute, then we'll transition to yeah. stories. Well, I, I, this story will tell you exactly okay. what it looks like. and Because and, uh, we don't always know what happens to people once they get released. Right. We, we don't often see them, but sometimes we do. Well, anyway, one day I was walking my dog. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was on my way home. Uh, I'm walking back toward my house, and a guy pulls up, on the, parks his car, gets out, comes walking at me, gets right in my face, and I don't recognize who this guy is. And I just looked at him, can I help you? And he goes, yeah, my name's Steve. I was a heroin addict in jail, and you brought Jesus to me. And I just wanted to say thank you. And he gave me a big hug, and I started bawling. He started bawling. And, <laughs> wow. And uh, we started talking, and it turned out he was almost divorced. They were, he was estranged from his wife, but they had reconciled. Uh, they were actually expecting their first baby. His wife was in the car. I got to meet her. Wow. And we talked for He was actually teaching a recovery class for other addicts. And so we talked for a few more minutes, gave him another hug. He got in his car and drove away. And I remember... Telling God, okay, I could do this for another thousand years, you know. Right, right. Uh, but that's an illustration of when somebody's life, like you're saying, when somebody gets converted, you know, God works from the inside out. Programs work from the outside in. Jesus is not a program. <laughs> right, right. That's a, a savior, good way to say it. Right. You know, and so He works from the inside out, and that's our goal: is to, you know, lead them to Christ, to get Jesus in their life, you know. Uh, Right. Get the word of God in their heart where they don't sin against him, you know, get out there and, and they begin to live it. And actually, it's yeah. uh, it's really cool. I could tell you a lot of stories about that, too. But that's the whole idea is, you know, that's the effective evangelism part and the discipleship part that these guys have nothing but time in their hands. Jail's an, an amazingly boring place. You know, you're <laughs> locked up most of the day. You get in an eight by 10 foot cell with some other guy. Um, or, you know, person, and uh, you don't get to do anything. There's no TV, really. There's no, you don't have anything personal. It's just harsh. And mm. everything's hard. The stools are hard. The tables are hard. That's why they call it hard time. Everything's right. hard. There is no <laughs> cush. And so, um, so, you know, they're in a great place to here. Right, right. You know, they're they're in a place because for most people, jail is the bottom. And you know, They've most people of, say, "Well, I got I had to get down to the bottom before I'd look up." And well, there they are. <laughs> and they started looking up. Well, listen, Ken. Before you tell a story, I think you mentioned that a couple months into your chaplaincy, you realized that you were getting into something quite big. In other words, you kind of gone from a volunteer to a chaplain. And maybe some of the challenges, maybe some of the people you've met. Tell us a little bit about that first two months and maybe your encounter with somebody that kind of helped right the ship there. Yeah. 
So when I became a chaplain, uh, normally the training is a little longer than what I received because they were in a hurry to get me in there. So the people from Good News came out here and we kind of did the normal training period in a matter of a week. And it's why I cut my hair short. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no. it was pretty intense. And then they just threw me in there. Wow. And being a volunteer is way different than being a chaplain okay. or vice versa, right? It's just the responsibilities and the stuff you deal with and everything is just so much different. And after a month or so, I was starting to felt like I was sinking. I didn't think I could do this job. And uh, so I was at a Foursquare pastor's meeting once and I began to pour my heart out to a friend of mine and to say, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm, I feel like I'm sinking. I'm in over my head. I don't think right. I can do this. And he looked at me and he said, who is sufficient for these things? And I sat there for a minute and went, duh. You know, uh, who is sufficient? None of right. us are. You know, if it was up to me, then, you know, my bad. But anyway, uh, from that day on, I got a new perspective and realized I just have to trust the Lord that he's in this with me, in which he is. And it changed my whole perspective, and I've been okay ever since. I mean, there's been times when it's been extremely hard. Uh, there was a time about two years ago, but almost this time, it was actually in April 10th, uh, 2020, uh, two officers got shot out in front of the jail. A guy was laying on the ground. This is in all the papers and on the news. They went over to see if he was okay, and he rolled over and shot at him. And one guy lost an eye. The other guy got shot in the face, took, took a couple teeth out. Um, and, of course, you know, that I went down to the jail, and it was pretty hard. You know, everybody's rattled all yeah. because, you know, they're brothers. Right. And uh, when somebody gets hurt like that, it's, you know, it's everybody. And, uh, right. But I was able to pray with a lot of people. I, I spent most of my time going from housing unit to housing unit, talking to the sergeants and all the different officers. And right. are you okay? Can we pray? And, you know, just trying to encourage them and right. get through this. Get through. And it, yeah. Um, and that was. Uh, you know, and, and afterwards, I had a lot of people thank me for the time. And just those little niceties, little things, just being there for them was a big deal. Right. Because, uh, you know, law enforcement, especially in today's world, they don't, they're not everybody's favorite person. It used to be, you know, everybody is officer friendly. Cops, and every, yeah, cops, yeah. Now it's like everybody has it out for the cops. And and these right. guys have the most thankless job on the planet, right? They take care of the, the worst of the worst. Um, they get spit on. They get people, They throw things at them that Probably I can't cussed say out in the Yeah, things, they're yeah. cussed out. They list this constant negativity and violence. And they're always, yeah, it's just a threatening situation. And, you know, everybody right. in there has PTSD. <laughs> and they won't, <laughs> they won't tell you that, but I will. But okay. it's, you know, it's just a hard place to be. And so uh, I would encourage people, pray for the officers. You know, wherever, whoever's point, listening yeah. to this show, pray for your local people. Tell them thank you. Right. I, uh, they need that. I think Ken makes a couple of good points, listeners, that you should pray for those people that are, you know, be caretakers at the jail or prison guards or things like that, because it's a very thankless job. And also he made a good point about he got confidence there after that first month or two that none of us are sufficient. The sufficiency is, is of Christ, as we would say. 
and he's always with us, so he's the one that's going to kind of help us through, whether it's a chaplaincy or maybe it's a different ministry or maybe it's a hard marriage or it's a hard job and stuff. So we want to begin to trust him, okay, and not look to ourselves, like Ken said. Well, Ken, let's talk about some of the stories. Why don't you start off with Michael and uh, listeners. He's got three or four really great stories that some of them are a little bit long, so I think you're going to enjoy these, but it's kind of fun to hear them, but also it's a great encouragement in the Lord to see how God works and maybe if you want to call it in different ways. So Ken, tell us about Michael. Yeah, well, Michael, uh, well, one of our jobs for the jail is we process religious request forms. Okay. So sometimes people want a kosher diet or they want something special or they want a prayer towel or a prayer rug or a prayer something. Well, anyway, this one guy put in a request uh, for something. I think it was a prayer rug. And so one of the things we do for the jail is we do the follow-up. We'll call the f- references and find right. out if they're legitimate or not. So I called this lady. She was in Texas. And uh, you know Michael. Yes, I'm his mom. Okay. Can you tell me about his religion, his religious practice? Oh, yeah, he's Baptist. Okay, thank you. That's what I needed to know. So I hung up the phone. And so I was going to put on his thing. We don't recommend approval because he's not Muslim. But the Lord spoke to me and said, go see him. And it was late in the day. I was tired. I wanted to go home. But okay. So we go down to his housing unit and I walk in. And who's standing right next to the officer station but Michael? (laughs) So I walk up to him and I looked at him and I go, are you Michael? And he goes, yeah. And I go, well, I want to tell you something. Your mom really loves you. And big tears welled up in his eyes. And and the officer could see he was going to lose it. So he popped us into the multi-purpose room and he just went, sat in a chair and just bawled his eyes out for a little while. And, uh, cause she was worried about him. He hadn't right. been talking to her and stuff. So anyway, I ended up saying, you're not a Muslim. You're, I know who you are. And I began to talk to him about Jesus and yeah, I'm sorry, God. And, you know, he was carrying on. And, uh, and from that point on, he began to come to all the Bible classes and, and he began to have a you know you could see the difference in his life right right and uh he eventually got released and as far as i know he went back home and he's doing okay wow so mom encouraged you and the holy spirit said go see him now we don't like we don't like wait but go see him now and then michael's life changed when she kind of confronted him or just talked to him it's not yeah. so much a confrontation yeah it was a god thing all the way right yeah. praise god well listen let's talk about jess you know jess is a a story, and I'll kind of tell the listeners up front. Jess is a story about maybe covers two or three stories in one and kind of started up in Salt Lake and then he went to Gunnison, where the state prison is. But Ken, talk about that and, and take your time. This is a great story. And again, it involves two or three things. And we're even going to go to California. Part of the story involves California, of all things. Yeah. So I got a request okay. Okay. from this guy uh, in right close to our office anyway, and he wanted to visit. So I went in to see him, and, and there were people using the multi-purpose room, so we had to meet out in the day room. So he got a couple of chairs. And as soon as he sat down, the Holy Spirit came just in an unbelievable way. And he began to just shake and tremble, and uh, and I was so overwhelmed, I couldn't talk. I was And he was bawling, and then he saw, I could hear him speaking in tongues, and he was just carrying on and all these other prisoners are walking around nobody's even looking at us 
And I don't know how long that went on, but finally he looked up at me and he's, he's still shaking. And I go, wow, somebody sure loves you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, shaking his head up and down like, yeah. <clears throat> well, it turned out uh, his mom had taken him to church when he was a young man, young boy. But in his teenage years, he grew up in Southern California, he got involved in gangs and he ended up going to prison and he just was not a very nice person. And uh, but that day, God really got a hold of him. Well, his life just changed dramatically from that day on. He was he couldn't shut up about Jesus and he began to read his Bible and uh, and his cellie got saved, a guy named William. And uh, there's several amazing stories in all this. But one day, uh, because of his gang affiliation, uh, these three other gang members from a rival gang came into the same housing unit. And they came by his cell one day, one of them did, and gave him a little sign that we're going to get you, right? You're dead. And instead of retaliating, which would be his natural inclination, he got on his knees, him and his celly both, and they began to pray. And a few minutes later, the transport officers came into that unit and they pointed to the three guys. Now, nobody else knew this. The officers didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. Wow. But these three, they pointed to the three other gentlemen that just came into the unit said, roll up, you're coming with us. And they hauled him out, and that was the end of that. So, uh, <laughs> so then, long story, uh, there's a lot more in between, but Jess got convicted. He ended up in the Gunnison prison. One day, a guy named Reuben came up to him in the housing unit and said, uh, I, I see that you have something real, and whatever it is, I want it. He said, a lot of these other guys are phonies, but you have something real. I want what you got. Well, Jess talked to him about Jesus, prayed with him, he gave his heart to Jesus. They began to do Bible studies. Uh, so about a month later, a, another young guy came to the unit, a guy named Gilberto. And uh, he did the same thing. He came up to Jess one day and said, you have something very real. I want what you got. He led him to Christ. They began to study together. Well, what Jess found out in the process was uh, Reuben, the first guy, had killed Gilberto's cousin, in a gang altercation, and Gilberto didn't know who he was. But he, he had vowed that if I ever find the guy that killed my cousin, I'm going to kill him. Well, in prison, there's not many secrets, and eventually Gilberto found out, and Jess knew this. And it was on a Sunday morning, and Gilberto started heading toward Ruben's cell, and Jess thought, oh, no, he's going to kill him, you know, and he was praying, and God, please. Anyway, Gilberto got up to his cell, and he said, I know you killed my brother. He called him his brother. He says, I know you killed my brother, but I want to tell you, I forgive you because God forgave me. Wow. What and, a tremendous. And, yeah. And so then tremendous. they began to do Bible studies together, Amazing. these three guys. And not long after that, Reuben's uncle uh, got COVID. This was during the pandemic. He was in Southern California and he was on total life support. They didn't expect him to live through the night. Uh, he had talked to his family. They said, you know, yeah, your uncle's going to die. And so he said, hey, can we pray? He said, well, you think God would heal my uncle if we prayed? He just said, let's go. So they all got on their knees. They began to pray. An hour later, his uncle stood up, pulled all the, Good all the junk out of his throat, <laughs> you know, the life support thing. And he walked out of the hospital. Completely he healed. walked out of the hospital. Completely healed. He was, they were, they were going to pull the plug on him. And he totally healed. So, you know, that's the thing. If when you minister to someone, you don't know where that's going to go. 
right? right I, I always right. think of Ananias in the book of Acts. You know, go no. pray for that guy named Saul. Oh, no. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> no, we were afraid He's of that guy. guy. Yeah. But he prayed for him, Brother Saul, you know. Right, right. The Lord that appeared to you, he, and, you know, he got his eyesight back and filled him with the Holy Ghost, and Paul changed the world. Exactly. Well, what a fabulous story about Jess. And let's just think about that. Here's a person that got ministered to, went to a different, uh, first of all, got, you know, almost got killed or could have been killed. Somebody's going to get him. But 10 minutes after they threatened him, those people were gone out of his life. God spared his life and wanted him to go. He goes to Gunnison, talks to two young men. They see something in him that's real. They want it. They get it finds out the two young men have a, a prior connection with the one that was going to kill the other one or vowed to kill the other one, didn't, and forgave him. Then they continue to have fellowship, and I'm sure they touched a lot of lives in Gunnison. Then when crunch time came with the uncle of one of them, probably within an hour or so or maybe a few hours of death, they prayed, and this uncle an hour later walked out, completely walked out of the hospital, completely healed went from death, so to speak, doorstep or death bed to completely healed and just walked out of the hospital. So like Ken said, you never know when you minister to someone, again, like Ananias with Saul or Paul, if you would, where is that thing going to lead? Well, Ken, let's finish up as much as we can. Talk a little bit about Craig. This is one of the other stories. And just tell us a little bit about Craig's story, and we'll kind of wind the program down. Yeah. Well, Craig was another one that was unusual. I knew about the crime. It made all the headlines. He uh, killed his partner. He was in a gay marriage. Uh, he burned the house down around him, basically, and killed him. Very prominent individual in Salt Lake City. And, uh, and I, so I knew who he was, and he sent me a kite, wanted me to come visit, and I didn't know what to expect. And I walked in, and the first thing he said to me was, do you know of any Bible schools I could go to? And I looked at him and went, What? <laughs> and uh, you know, no prison, which Bible we, we got yeah. talking, and you know, he began to kind of tell me a story. And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. You know, you can start here. We have Bible studies." I began to take him studies and prayed with him, and and uh, you know, he began to change dramatically. And he decided that he wasn't going to put the family through a trial. His lawyers were all telling him because he was on drugs when he did it that, that we could do an insanity defense and you'll probably wow. this and he goes no I know what I did and he he didn't want to put the family through all the hell of revisiting the whole thing so he didn't have a trial he told the judge look I'm guilty you just give me whatever sentence he got life in prison he's there right now uh, but he's still involved in uh, same thing he's helping people uh, he sent a guy to remember Grant yes he's yes, one of yeah. our volunteers and uh, he knew Craig as well. Well, anyway, Craig sent a guy from prison that was going, going to go home to Grant's church. And he showed up and God, he ended up getting married to his longtime girlfriend and God just changed his life. And, you know, so again, it's just, you never know what's going to happen. The, the, God has his ways and he knows, who, he knows who belongs to him. Right. Well, I think you make a, a great point too, is here's some people that, here's somebody that killed his partner in a homosexual relationship We've talked about people that murdered somebody, you know, the two guys. And these are people that are very, very serious issues, but yet the power of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God changed their lives. And Craig, he, he said, I'm not going to 
put the other family through a, a trial. I'm just going to fess up and I'm going to live for God. Here I'm going to be sentenced to life in prison. He probably knew up front this was what was going to happen. But he said, I'm willing to do that and I'm going to help people's lives. So rather than like throw his own life away or give up or give into some stupid stuff, he said, I'm going to make a difference. And he asked Ken, tell me about a Bible college or tell me somewhere I can go. And Ken had the resources and the smarts to say, well, listen, we've got some studies here in jail, or we've got some Bible studies we can give you. So that's the power of God. Well, Ken, any last words, anything you'd encourage people listening? And we've got about a minute left of the program. Yeah, I, just one thing about Craig. I got a letter not too long after that from his mother in Virginia, thanking us for getting her son back. It was just the most wonderful letter. I still keep it on my desk. Every once in a while, I'll pull it out. Wow. Uh, she actually spoke at one of our banquets about three years ago. Uh, but I would just encourage people to share with your faith. Don't be afraid. Don't be you afraid know, and share God's, with your faith. Yeah. You know, we have a message. Again, you know, it's I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But whatever God does is. So, Amen. Amen. Well, Ken, thanks for being with us these last two programs. We really appreciate that. You know, many and I are so blessed to have you here and just so blessed to hear a lot of the testimonies of what God did, okay? You started out as a volunteer. You got to be a chaplain. And along the way, there are some stories. Well, brothers and sisters that were listening today, we thank you so much. Manny and I want you to join us next week as we go into all the world. 